0: Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June 2024. Good luck. ES Audio.
1: From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Rochelle Travers and this is The Leader, Rosebank. Rosebank the huge UK oil and gas field that has just been given the green light for development and production. The North Sea Transition Authority confirmed consent has been granted for the site, which lies off the coast of Scotland. The field contains up to 350 million barrels of oil and is currently one of the largest untapped discoveries in UK waters. Green Party MP Caroline Lucas said the decision was morally obscene and an act of environmental vandalism. Energy Secretary Claire Coutinho said the development would make Britain less reliant on foreign energy. Joining me now is Jess Ralston, head of energy at the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit think tank, who previously said approving the Rosebank site makes no sense.
0: So Rosebank is an oil and gas field just off the coast of Shetland, um, obviously in the North Sea. And it's an oil and gas field, however, it's it's mainly oil. Like much of the North Sea, most of the gas is gone and what remains is oil. So it's, it's mainly an oil field, but there is a little bit of gas as well. And oil and gas we obviously export, import, use for petrol, diesel, gas we also use in our houses for heating and cooking and, and also to generate some of our power.
1: Jess... The development has been given approval. What does that mean exactly? And how soon could we see drilling start? Well, Rosebank
0: has been on the cards for a number of years. Um, It's faced quite a lot of delays and a lot of protests basically from environmentalists, but also from other people who are concerned about the direction of travel for the UK's oil and gas industry, that being it's not winding down in line with our climate change goals. So today what's happened is the North Sea Transition Authority has given the green light, it's approved the oil field and it said yes this can go ahead which means that over the next few years the developers which are Equinor and Ithaca and they're going to basically be building the supply chain, starting to get on with building some of the rigs and the infrastructure that will need to be able to get the oil and gas out of the the oil field. So that's going to happen probably the next few years. And we're probably not going to see any oil or gas come up from Rosebank until around 2028. So in the late 2020s, we'll probably see the first oil and gas come out of the oil field. However, given that we're still actually in a gas crisis and oil prices are a bit volatile at the moment, a bit up and down, it's not clear yet what the uh, sort of economic impact of extracting that oil and gas in future years will be because we don't know how much the price of oil and gas is going to be in those future years. So there's still quite a lot to be determined around the financing and the economics of the field. But yeah, it's been given the green light. So it'll be going ahead over the next few years.
1: Why is the approval of Rosebank so controversial?
0: Well, so the government has always said that it's going to approve new oil and gas fields from the North Sea. So this isn't a change of policy for the current government. However, it has faced lots of criticism from lots of different people. So there's uh, organisations like the International Energy Agency, the United Nations and our own advisors on climate change, the Climate Change Committee, they've all said that there should be no new oil and gas fields. So the UK government's decision does go directly against what those expert organisations have said, and therefore it's faced lots of criticism. But not only on environmental grounds, but also some of the experts in the field are saying that energy security actually won't be improved by this new oil field. Our bills certainly won't go down from it. And in the long run, the North Sea is in terminal decline. It's, it's running out no, no matter what the government policy is. So it's not an unlimited source of fuel or supply. And therefore, lots of people are arguing that instead of spending money on a new oil and gas field, what you should be doing is investing in technologies like renewable power, insulation, heat pumps, which are going to lower our demand for oil and gas in the first place and help to get us weaned off volatile oil and gas supplies forever.
1: You touched on energy security there. The Energy Secretary said the development would make Britain less reliant on foreign energy. What is your response to that statement? To say
0: that um, Rosebank is going to improve our energy security and make us more energy independent is factually incorrect because 80% of the oil which we get from the North Sea is exported and Rosebank is mostly an oil field. So most of it's going to be exported and because it's not owned by us, you know, it's not owned by the British public or the government, it's owned by the oil and gas company, they'll sell the oil and gas on the international markets to the highest bidder. So there's no guarantee that it's going to stay in the UK. And specifically when it comes to oil, yes, we'll export it and we might end up buying back some of that oil when it's been refined and changed from other countries. But we're not going to know which oil is coming specifically from Rosebank and which is coming from other oil fields. So it's very unclear how much oil will actually stay in the UK. And to say it's definitely going to help our energy security is, is factually incorrect. That's not the case.
1: How else could the approval of oil and gas drilling at Rosebank potentially impact the public?
0: Well, when it comes to tax credits and subsidies, the North Sea has a very, very complicated tax regime. I mean, it doesn't help that the government says that it doesn't give any subsidies to the oil and gas companies. It likes to say that because it's a bit easier to sell. But essentially, taxpayer money Does go to oil and gas companies in the North Sea. So there are effective subsidies, but they're just not called that by the government. Um, And the real kicker when it comes to Rosebank is that the taxpayer will probably fork out around £4 billion to the developers to develop Rosebank because of a loophole in the windfall tax and not only that, but we're also on the hook to pay for the decommissioning of it. And not only that, but there's also various tax credits and other tax breaks that the old companies can access. So even when people talk about the economic impacts of Rosebank jobs and you know tax payments and things, it's really good to remember that there's a lot of tax breaks and subdi- subsidies for Rosebank that people like you and I are on the hook for. So that's obviously not ideal. And also a a big thing is the government keeps saying that it's going to help with our energy bills. Now, our energy bills have been really high over the past 18 months or so because of gas, and Rosebank is mostly oil. So to say that it's going to lower our bills is also factually incorrect because it's not going to move the dial on those internationally set gas prices.
1: Are there any benefits to this in your opinion? Why do you think the government is pushing ahead with it?
0: I suppose the government's argument is that it's, it's going to prolong... Jobs in the North Sea, and it's going to prolong that tax income, even if some of it's then offset by tax breaks. But I think actually, when you talk to people who do work in oil and gas and do work in the North Sea, they know that the future is not oil and gas because it's in terminal decline, and our demand for it is going to fall as we head towards our, our net zero goal. And they know it's no longer a job for life. So. It might be that actually we start to see a shift anyway of people moving from working in the oil and gas sector towards renewables and other things which are quite related really. So I mean I guess they'll say it's for jobs but as far as the international experts are concerned they've already said we shouldn't be opening new oil and gas fields. So yeah the government doesn't appear to be listening to them.
1: Let's go to the ads. Stay there to hear more from Jess Ralston, Head of Energy at the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit on what the other political parties have had to say about the approval of Rosebank and how this could all impact voters' decisions in the next election.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
2: Wherever you get your podcast, thanks for listening.
1: The government said in July it would issue hundreds of new licences for oil and gas. How concerning is that moving forward?
0: That was always the government's policy to, to issue um, quite a lot more licences for new oil and gas. However, if you continue to emit through oil and gas in the North Sea, you are going to have to find other ways to reduce your emissions to meet your legally binding goals, right? So you can't just carry on pretending that that they don't exist. You are going to have to find the emissions reduction somewhere. And last week, the the Prime Minister obviously announced quite a series of rollbacks on some of the net zero policies that his own government put in place. And I think that that is generally sending a message to lots of the energy industry that the UK is rolling back generally on how it wants to achieve net zero and issuing new oil and gas licenses. Well, pulling back support for renewables and insulation. When the whole world is moving towards green investment and we're competing internationally for that green investment, this doesn't send a message that's terribly helpful to investors. It's going to spook them and basically going to make us look like we haven't really got our ducks in a row. We don't know what the plan is for reaching net zero um, and we don't have the policies in place to get there. So there's a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos around what the government's approach is now to net zero because... The past few months, and particularly last week, has sent very mixed messages.
1: As you mentioned, the government seems to be making a lot of sort of U turns when it comes to its green policies at the moment. Do you have much data about how much voters care about reaching net zero, and how much this could impact their decisions in the next election?
0: Yeah, interestingly, actually, um, throughout the pandemic and the cost of living crisis climate change and the environment has remained in the top four or even three most of the time, the top concerns for the public. So I think it's barking up the wrong tree to say that, you know, the public want want to see less net zero measures. I actually think they probably want to see more because we're all seeing the floods, the droughts, um, all the other consequences of climate change happening in the world, but also in the UK. And that has an impact on how people feel about action on climate change. And I, I do think, by trying to trying to speak to a very small minority of people within the Conservative Party, you know, a very small minority of voters. The Prime Minister is potentially alienating a lot of people who sit in that middle ground or uh, are very much pro-climate action. And I think the evidence will be in the polls as we head up towards the election because everyone you speak to is concerned about climate change. It's a topic of conversation on the dinner table. There's lots of news about it. And I do think that's testament to how much the British public care about acting and doing our bit. And at the moment, I think it's quite clear that the the series of decisions that have been made by government are not towards doing more. They're more about doing
1: less. The Energy Secretary Claire Coutinho has taken to social media, posting, we will not play politics with our energy security. Even the Independent Climate Change Committee has said that in 2050, we will need oil and gas for a quarter of our energy. The choice we face in this, do we shut down our own oil and gas, leaving us reliant on foreign regimes? Do we lose 200,000 jobs across the UK? Do we import fuel with much higher carbon footprints instead and lose billions in tax revenue? And that's it from this episode of The Leader. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm.
2: Hi, I'm Lawrence Delaglio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance.